0: Brian and I met for breakfast one Thursday morning and he said, I think we're done. And and I was like, I told your assistant that last night. I was pretty sure you were firing me this morning. And I said, what's happening? And he said, you're the right guy to get us from from a million to a hundred million, but you're the wrong guy to take us from the hundred million to the billion.
1: You're listening to the Elevate Podcast and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Philip Seymour Hoffman. Creating something is all about problem solving. Our guest today, Cameron Harold, is one of the most gifted problem solvers in the entrepreneurial world. He's an experienced operator, entrepreneur, best-selling author, coach and keynote speaker. He's also the founder of the COO Alliance, a top resource and network for second in commands at all types of organization and is the author of the new book which comes out this week, The Second in Command Unleash the Power of the COO. Cameron, welcome back to the Elevate podcast.
0: Hey Bob, thanks for having me. Good to see you again too.
1: All right, so we dug into your background uh, in your first appearance on the show, which is I just looked it up, it's episode 66, so I'd encourage people to check that out if they want to hear about your Entrepreneurial childhood. The question I've been asking a lot of repeat guests, and I know for you, I know part of the answer to this how has your life and business changed since March 2020? Wow.
0: Uh, thankfully, I was one of the lucky ones. I was one of the lucky ones. My business was at the time very much coaching entrepreneurs over Zoom, so no change. Yeah. And then I was running a COO alliance, this mastermind or network community of second in commands from all over the world, but we were meeting in person five times a year. And because of COVID, we tried to do two-day events over Zoom, and that failed miserably. I'm like, oh, fuck, we have to reinvent or close down. So we changed the entire model, changed the pricing of the model. And now we've got close to 175 members instead of 40. Um, We've got members from 17 countries because they don't have to fly anywhere. And we're still running now two in-person events a year, but we have more people coming to those because we have a much broader base for it, and our revenue has tripled. So we we actually built out a much bigger model. So I got really lucky from it. Um, I think the hardest part for me has been not really having as much time to connect with my members. So I don't have the deep, deep relationships that I have. With some of the early day members, like your your original COO Matt Wool was one of the founding yeah. members of the Alliance six years, seven years ago,
1: and with, with like, Zach, and now they're both CEO. They both yeah, graduated, yeah.
0: Zach Morrison, yeah. Like, and I got to know them because we hung out and we had beers and we'd go for hikes and we'd go golfing, and and I got to know them, and that's hurt me a little bit in not knowing my members as well. Um, so I'm really trying to work on that with with my team as well as to make sure that we actually spend time really getting to know them
1: but personally you you turned into a, a world traveler right <laughs> yeah <personally. laughs> sold all your worldly possessions you were ready for the apocalypse yeah
0: I I got sold the home in Arizona I got rid of the home in Vancouver sold all of our cars my wife sold all of her assets we sold all of our furniture we have a five foot by ten foot storage locker in Vancouver with some art and a couple of bins of some possessions my kids want must feel so good yeah it's weird yeah I only I have four pair of shoes and three pair of pants. That's it. And we've been to last, in the last 12 months, we went to 22
1: countries. Well, you're living the 80-20 rule with clothes, right? Which is, you're better off, like, you have a couple good pairs, wear them out, buy another one, buy a good pair of jeans, you use it, buy another one. Like, yeah. I always tell people, if you if you don't believe in the 80-20 rule, walk in your closet, right? Oh. I mean, you only use probably, you probably wear 10% of the stuff 90% of the time
0: yeah it's so true and i and i actually should now allow myself to buy some of the nicer things too like i've, I've always been that guy who won't spend yeah. the additional money so
1: the key is a traveler and as someone like I, I judge people who can't do five days without a carry-on because checking a bag is just subject but but my wife always complained the problem is the shoes right and so like if you can find the pair that you can run in go to a conference like you need swiss army knife shoes right that's the key
0: I found them. So I have I have a pair of black on running shoes that are very light. They're kind of collapsible. They look dressy enough with jeans. Yeah, that's the key. (laughs) I've got a pair of white on running shoes. This is all I've owned for the last 18 months. I've got a carry on backpack and a day. And my hack is that the carry on backpack has a zip on backpack that goes on top of it. So I end up with kind of three
1: bags. Yeah. But
0: yeah, that's all I got, man.
1: We we had a a junior sales rep start years ago with traveling to a meeting with Matt and I, and it was an overnight meeting. And he shows up to the airport with his forty eight inch bag to check, and we're like, "Dude, this is not this is not happening. We're, we, you're going to have to wait in line. We're not
0: doing this." Well, I, I question their critical thinking too. Like, how much time are they thinking about their planning, and what do they really need, and are they operating the business that way too? Right? Like, I, yeah. I, I remember who it was. I think it was like. I'll, I'll make it up and say it was Edison or Washington or somebody and they said, you know, here's my one-page letter and it would have been shorter, but I didn't know. Oh, yeah. It. It's a,
1: if I had more time, I think it was Mark Twain. Sorry, I didn't write you a shorter letter. I didn't have more time. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And and I think there's something to that, right? Like it's often in leadership about saying no more often than we say yes and working on the critical few things versus the important many.
1: Yeah. And key tip from this episode, which has nothing to do with what we'll talk about, but A, since the summer put um, Apple trackers in my luggage, you know, and B, if you ever connect through Europe, particularly on a code share alliance and think you're going to see your luggage again, (laughs) like you're never my record on direct flights is pretty good. Anyone I know who's connected through Europe on any sort of code share thing has their bags are they're gone.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. I, we 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 now have Apple trackers in our day packs and our, our carryouts because yeah. we lost bags in uh, Scotland and we lost bags in India on our way to Bhutan. And yeah. then we just had a bag disappear here in, in Arizona for two days, again, on a connecting flight out of Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Great tip.
1: <laughs> Life tip. Nothing to do with second in command. So. Look, like you've done extensive work helping operators and the term second command, which stems from your own experience as CEO, uh, COO, sorry, of 800 got junk. Uh, we talked a lot about it in the initial, but can you just for people who didn't listen to that, give just quick, quick memory lane kind of on the on the crazy story of, of growing 100 got junk with Brian and sort of the sure. the tug and pull that you, you both had in that visionary operator role.
0: Yeah. And and Brian and I had a very unfair advantage. Where Brian was my best man at my wedding. Three months before I joined him to start working with him, so we were already best friends. We already knew each other very deep personal relationships, and we'd been in an entrepreneurs organization forum group for four and a half years together before I started working with him. So he saw me build two other companies and watched. It's almost like he had a four and a half year interview. So I joined Brian. He had I was his employee number fourteen. Uh, we were doing two million dollars in revenue. He just sold his 12th franchise, and we had no franchise manual at all, no franchise training system. We had no marketing system, no marketing manuals, really no plans to scale it. It was a great idea, a a fantastic vision, a spectacular culture, and and a really strong technology platform that he built, which really blew me away. And I just loved his vision of what he wanted to build. And I'd already built a couple of other franchise companies by that point. And because he knew me, he let me just run with it. So six and a half years later, we had 3,100 employees system wide. We'd gone from $2 million to $106 million in revenue. We had no debt. We had no outside shareholders. We had created 5,200 individual unique stories in the media about the company. We just ranked as the number two company in all of Canada to work for um and we were operating in 330 cities in four countries so we had this crazy explosive growth and then i talk about this in the book brian and i met for breakfast one thursday morning and he said i think we're done and and i was like i told your assistant that last night i was pretty sure you were firing me this morning and i said what's happening and he said you're the right guy to get us from from a million to a hundred million but you're the wrong guy to take us from the hundred million to the billion and um So I broke down crying and and he started crying and we were both pretty much a mess. And he made me take a taxi home because I was unable to drive my own car (laughs) for the 12 minute drive. And Yeah. uh, yeah, fast forward 16 years later, we're very close friends. We text and talk all the time. He wrote the foreword to the book and his new COO, Eric Church, has been the COO now for almost 10 years Funny enough, Eric and I have known each other for thirty-five years. We started a fraternity together in Ottawa, Canada, in nineteen eighty-seven. I was president the first year, and Eric was president the second year. And now Eric has been CEO. Always comes
1: after you. Yeah,
0: it was so. But now he's the right guy. He's taken them from when well, it crashed after I left over the next three years. It went down to seventy million, and now they're up to four hundred and fifty million. And Eric has been spectacular. But he would have been terrible in the first six years because he didn't know anything about franchising. So there was yeah. like a time period that we really fit into.
1: Well, a couple of things. I mean, I know you were religious on on process and systems and repeatable and scale. I think that look, this dynamic has always existed with a number one. You had the you know Disney's and you had you know Tim Cook at Apple behind Steve Jobs. I think EOS really nailed this, though, in the visionary integrator labels, and, and they serve fundamentally different roles and roles that are kind of in tension, you know, sometime. But can you kind of walk through all the companies What, what see? Is, what is the difference in that? I know the titles could be different, right? You could have a yeah. founder and president. You could have a COO. But what... A fast-growing company, like, can it survive with, what happens if it, it has a visionary but not an integrator or, or an integrator but not a visionary? I don't think people appreciate um, this dynamic because often they don't see the integrator.
0: Yeah. Gino Wickman in his book, um, Traction, and then when he and Mark Winters wrote Rocket Fuel did a great job with the visionary integrator model. It tends to break down at about the 50 to 75 employee mark because some of their ideas of what an integrator does has to change as the company scales. So when you get to about 100 employees, the the second in command can't be the tiebreaker. And that's one of the things that they have. They can't be the person solely responsible for integrating the entire model. They have to be the one that are building the team, building collaboration, removing obstacles. They also have to be thinking about strategy as well. So they have to kind of think strategy and think execution. But yeah, he was the first one to, I think, really open people's minds up to that idea of the two in a box, right? The second in command or the CEO and COO, visionary integrator. What I tend to notice as a company scales is almost the titles tend to scale as well. Your first second in command is probably a director of operations or maybe even a project manager, right? It's the the person you can hand a lot of projects to that can get shit done for you. And then it's the first person that's managing some people for you. But that wouldn't be a
1: COO. It's just like a director of ops, maybe because the founder really doesn't want to do this stuff right i think they want to be the front person and yeah they're just not into the process and the manuals they're into the sell the dream and convince everyone to come work there right
0: yeah and most founders aren't don't have the skill set to operate that stuff yeah now once you get a company to about 300 employees i think of like the ones in the threes 1 three, ten, thirty, a 30 100 300 when you get into the 100 300 range most of those ceos are actually technically strong ceos now they can't actually be in the founder role running around with the seagull management of you know shit on everybody and fly away and come in with the crazy ideas or, and or they're
1: that. the number two who was promoted to the number one
0: correct so then yeah so what tends to happen is when your company hits around the, the 100 to 300 level you tend to have a ceo who's actually capable of running a business and running some business areas and thinking strategically and operating executionally, and and thinking more about people, it's rare that you really have that founder-led CEO who can continue on like you've done, like Brian's done. You know, they've got I don't know seven thousand employees now, six hundred million system-wide right. sales.
1: But you have to right, you have to look. I think the titles don't tell the story, right? You have to look and say, you know, what has that person abdicated? Who's really doing what? The like CEO might not have no direct reports, right?
0: Yeah. And that's the key is to really, I say you have to match the title to the job description yeah. and to the compensation level. So I did a compensation survey. We've got a couple hundred COOs or second in commands who showed us what their compensation was, their title, their comp, their bonus structure, what city and state they're from, uh, their age, their their gender. And it was really intriguing to see at the size of company, you can actually see the compensation starting to grow. You know, it was, uh, it's funny to see a company with 20 employees and they have a COO and they're paying them 120 grand. That's not a COO.
1: Yeah. It's a director of operations.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because the compensation matches that. It's very dangerous to give out a big title too early because then your employees are out there doing compensation checks on Indeed and Glassdoor and on Google. And they're like, wait, COOs are supposed to make 400 grand. And you're like, oh, well, you're not really a COO. Well, then why did you call me one? Yeah right? Or they don't have the strategic ability or the ability to, you know, in an early stage company, the manager's solution to almost every problem is hire more people. And as a company scales, once you have some skill set as a leader, you tend to look for automations and optimization and the ability to say no, and you look for ROI. And often, you won't want to hire more people, you'll actually want to maybe outsource
1: or say no to the project. Yeah, there's a post yesterday on these companies that were worth on LinkedIn, 500 million to a billion at, at sale that, that had 10 to 50 employees. It's incredible, <laughs> so, right? Yeah.
0: like WhatsApp was like $1.8 billion and they had 55 employees or something like that
1: when they sold. Yeah, we're actually going through this period now and talking to CEOs. I have an article I'm I'm working on called Additive Subtraction, which you talk to people and they're like, we removed this person, these people, this department, this thing, and actually it got better. And you mm-hmm. can never understand. You're like, these people were doing... 500 hours of work a week like how you know i guess is the difference between busyness and productivity right
0: well i i showed brian that in the early days and it was a, a diagram that i drew for him and i said the complexity with scale starts to happen because of the number of people so as an example if you and i are talking right now there's only two ways to talk i can speak to you you can speak to me but if we add a third person let's say we add matt wool your ceo now into the mix I can speak to Matt, Matt can speak to me, Matt can speak to you, you can speak to Matt. Now there's six layers of communication for the three people. So the complexity really multiplies. And what happens is, and, and I'm seeing this right now with a new client that I'm working with, they blind CC or CC everybody constantly. So all these managers and executives are overwhelmed with communication that they don't need to freaking know. Or if you're going to include me, tell me what I need to do. So what happens is all these employees tend to get busier, not necessarily doing productive work. And then if your leadership team isn't really strong yet, it's hard to say no to those seven people that you don't want to come to a meeting because their work would be better spent doing other work. Steve Jobs was very misunderstood. He used to walk into meetings and be like, why the fuck are you here? He wasn't being a dick. He was just like, why the fuck are you here? Like you've got six other projects that are more important than you being in this room. We would have, you know what I mean? And I think, companies need to get better at that.
1: Well, there's also, uh, there's another thing I'm working on and I've seen in our trajectory, the myth of centralization, which is that, hey, there's a bunch of people all doing a part of this. If we create a centralized resource and pull this to them, then they'll have all this capacity to deliver more productivity and centralized resource can do it more efficiently. The theory sounds great. I feel like it works 10% of the time. Like somehow you go back to all those people and all of the time has been absorbed and now you have this extra hundred and something thousand dollars centralized resource
0: yeah it's kind of like a hub and spoke model right it's it's tough to actually make that play it's also very tough you you know we saw a trend about 15 years ago of these decentralized organizations like it was gonna be a flat organization and no titles and there was gonna be no real org chart i'm like that sounds great in theory man but wait until that shit starts to fall apart and falls fast
1: yeah well, your new book is out. You've taken all of this this year's um, Second in Command. So, funny, I'll tell a funny anecdote on this. Like, you're a very good marketer. I've known you for years. You, <laughs> it was the example of the Cobbler's Kids. You had posted on Facebook, and you know, you had a Second in Command podcast where you're like, I can't figure out the name for my book. Like, it's about this. And then you had like four crappy titles. And I thought I was, I was like, Cam, like, it's Second in Command. Like, and then I looked through the comments, and there's like 20 people all telling you. <laughs> I'll tell you, and you were like, then you respond, you're like, duh, how did I not think of this? It is so hard to do stuff for yourself, even if you can do it for other people.
0: Yeah. I forgot that was you. I super appreciative of that. Cause you absolutely- I think I
1: wasn't, there was like 10 people said the same oh, thing. I appreciate like, yeah. appreciative,
0: Very appreciative of, of it because yeah, you totally nailed it. And I really, I knew what I wanted to talk about, but then see, I'd never written any of my other five books in a strategic view. I just yeah. wanted to share the information. And this one was actually not only this is the best book I've ever written by far. Like the content is really good, the flow is good. The um,
1: so the other it, books are crap, so people can skip those.
0: No, I don't think they're that <laughs> strong. I think Double Double was was pretty damn good twelve years ago. Yeah, you know, meeting Suck was you know easy to pull together and
1: delivered a, a reason. Well, but some of those books you pulled out, people asked you to kind of do deeper dives on the yes. on the stuff from Double Double, right? Yeah,
0: this one though serves a real purpose because there's not a lot of
1: content out there on it. All right, so I have two key questions that I think a lot of founders and early CEOs. First of all, actually, let me make a statement and a question. A lot of people I've seen, you know, they are the founder, president, and CEO of their company. The CEO is the chief executive officer. Therefore, the responsibility is to manage other executive officers. If you don't have executive officers, you should not call yourself CEO. I agree. (laughs) Yeah, like you're actually deluding yourself. You're president or you're whatever, but like, if you are the head of marketing, unless you have multiple personalities, then that's not, you're, you're diluting yourself a little bit.
0: Yeah. Uh, it was funny. When I walked into One Tender Got Junk 20 years ago, there were six VPs, six people that worked in the call center, and Brian, that was the 13. I was number 14. I'm yeah. like, wait, five of the VPs don't even have anyone reporting to them, and they're making 120 grand each. Like, you've got six directors with bigger titles. Yeah. The CEO's job, I love Jack Daly's quote on this, the CEO's job is to be the chief energizing officer. Yeah. Right is to share the vision, to drive culture, to help remove obstacles. And I believe that every leader's core job is to grow people. You guys did a fantastic job at that at Acceleration Partners, where you really looked at layers of people in the organization and wanted to grow their skill set and their confidence. And you worked really hard at that with the remote teams that you had being a completely distributed organization. But that's really what the CEO needs to do. And at some point, see, my book is written really for the companies between 25 and 500 employees. That's probably the zone this book is written for. Most CEOs start to get to a point that they don't have time to grow people. They don't have time to spend with people because they're managing six or seven areas. That's really when you need the COO. You really need a strong, solid second in command who can lead those people for you grow those people for you spend time to allow you to do the deep dives as the ceo to allow you to work in your area of unique ability to allow you to only have two to three hours a day of meetings and five hours of project and thinking and strategy work
1: have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game two years ago i bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time and it pushed me to ride trails that i had never been willing to try before to post your job for free terms and conditions apply so the two questions i hear the most are like when is when is the right time to bring it in and then where do i find this person right i mean i have heard the majority of companies i think find this person internally not externally but but What are your experience with both of those questions?
0: It's a great question. So you mentioned Zach Morrison, who is really, I'll give credit to Zach as being the the founding member of the CEO Alliance. And to tease him, I gave him member number three, because he was really the one who came up with the idea. I didn't want to tell him he was number one. But his CEO, Ben Kirshner, asked me, gosh, 10 years ago to come on as his second in command. And I'm like, "I I would be a horrible COO for you. I don't know anything about digital marketing. I don't know anything about your client base. I don't even know you just because I've been the COO. It's kind of the equivalent of me. Let's say I was single and I was looking for a wife and I'm like, oh, you've been a wife before. You have
1: have tools, but you would have to learn this entire industry and business. And yeah. But
0: but imagine me just asking a woman who used to be married, "Oh, you've been married before, yeah. you
1: can my <laughs> wife now." Like I don't even
0: know anything about her just because she's been a wife doesn't mean she'd be a good wife for me. Yeah. So so where do you find them? It's key to think about what are you looking for first? And it, that starts with really the self-examination of what are you really really good at as a CEO and what do you really really suck at? And then what are you, the areas of the business that give you energy and what are the areas of the business that drain you?
1: But there's some real commonalities for people here, right? I, I mean, I think if you had to generalize the top three things for most founders that they don't want to be doing, that they are dying for this person to do. What, yeah, what they would, don't, yeah, they
0: don't want the operations. They don't want the day-to-day. But <laughs> the, the real difference become, in some cases, the CEOs are very inward-facing and they might run IT or finance, like Tobias Luque from Shopify runs engineering and IT. Because
1: he comes but, from that, yeah.
0: Right. And then Harley, his COO, is a very outward-facing biz dev. At 1-800-GOD-JUNK, Eric Church does no media interviews, does no outward facing, does no work with the press, does no speaking. I did, because Brian was very inward facing on IT and engineering. So it really depends. In some cases, the COO runs finance. In some cases, they don't. So it's a real strange mix. In every case, the head of finance runs everything in finance, right? Or they run everything in IT, or they run everything in marketing. The head of those business areas are very easy to understand. But the harder determining factor is what are the couple areas of the business the CEO wants to keep and which ones are the ones they want to let go of.
1: And I think Brian talks a lot about this, but what he did a really good job when he got to Eric was like, he he was like, look, what I love, what I suck at, and then look for someone who is basically that the, too often we hire. And I think this was part of the reason you guys were actually more similar in some ways, right? Yes. Versus like you almost want to hire an inverse, right? Yes. Of This person's got to love everything I hate.
0: That's why I did the yin and yang on the cover. Yeah, that's really what you're looking for is that true yin and yang, that inverse to your, right? So your strengths. That's why it's such a strange role. Harvard did an article years ago called The Misunderstood Role of the COO, and they identified seven distinct types of chief operating officers. So I included a lot of their content in the book as well, just to speak to that. But the first question was, when do you get one? Yeah. Right? So the first starting point that I talk to most entrepreneurs about, they're like, oh, I need a second in command. Well, do you have an executive assistant? Oh, no, but I need a second in command. No, no. If you don't have an executive assistant, you are one. So get all that. That's another Jack Daly quote. Get everything off your plate that's admin work, that's $15, $20 an hour task work. That'll save you about six months or 12 months to really find a real solid second in command. The second point is, do you have a management team with strong domain experts running each area? If you do, then you're definitely ready more for the COO or that second in command. If you don't have somebody running key each key area, you might be better off hiring one or two solid experts to run a couple of key domain areas. That, again, might save you the year or two. But if you get to the point that you have domain experts running their areas, right, you've got a management team, maybe five or six people deep, and you know you don't have time to grow them, to spend time with them, to remove obstacles, to be strategic, and you're still involved too much in the day-to-day, that's really when you want to be able to step back Hire that true second in command to lead those people for you, so that you can start to spend more time in the areas that you like, or to give you your life back as well. You know, which is why a lot of people hire that
1: second in command. It, so it's interesting. I went to a EO event years ago, and the woman had quadrants, personality quadrants. They they loosely aligned to disk. And she asked everyone in the room to stand, and it was couples, you know, to stand, you know, in their quadrant. And almost all couples were were at the opposite spectrum right yeah. and i'll never forget this she said you marry the opposite and you cheat with the same because when you get frustrated at those differences it's really easy in the short term to to run to someone like you so we all know that there's harmony in these differences and, and you see it in a lot of relationships where you're like how are these people like married or in a relationship they're like so different yeah. so i think this is a little bit like i'm like th- yes. there's fighting like there's, yeah. this gets a little ugly because you are you know I heard a speaker once who said, you know, every sale from $600,000 to $900,000 is a million dollar sale, right? And the COO's job is to own the numbers. And so he's like, that (laughs) that guy's a freaking liar. So there is a tension. Or and they say, look, he literally had our operations person falling out of a chair. I brought him in. And he said, look, the person will come back and be like, we need to to launch in Chicago. And she's like, why? She's like, because I was on a flight with a guy from Chicago today, and he was telling me (laughs) about the city. So there's mutual respect and appreciation, but then this probably there's some dogfights day to day. Yes.
0: Right? Yeah, so I talked a lot in the book, the second command about the marriage between the CEO and CEO more than the CEO and any other relationship in the business. Yeah. So the fighting, the conflict, which is natural and the arguing has to be to argue to better the business, right? It has to be arguing to live in and aspire to the core values. And it needs to be done away from the kids.
1: That's a great, that's a great enough. No fighting in front of the kids. Yeah.
0: Right. So the husband and wife need to debate, need to argue, need to have, that's normal, but don't do it in front of the children. So you need to have a date night to reconnect. You need to have time where you can argue with your door closed or out of the, out of the home together. So the CEO and COO need to have time away from the office weekly. They need to have one-on-one meetings. I remember when I was building a Boyd auto body and Gerber auto collision, and I was the second in command there in the franchising group. And I said to the CEO, I I need to have a weekly meeting with you. He goes, I don't need to have a meeting with you. You're crushing it. I'm like, no, no, I need a weekly meeting with you so that I have time to bounce ideas, get inspired, you know, stress test stuff, talk to you. He goes, oh, I can do that for you. I'm like, cool. Like I need a date night, right? So you have to put those systems in place to, to build that. And then the COO's job is to shine the spotlight on the CEO and make them look good. And the CEO's job behind the scenes is to shine the spotlight on the COO to make them look good. And I remember when my mom and dad were raising us as kids, if I did something wrong, my mom would inevitably say, oh, we'll just wait till your father gets home. And my dad would come home and I'd get spanked and then I'd be in my room crying. And who would come in five minutes later? My mom saying, I'm sorry, sweetie, your dad loves you, but he just had to do that, blah, blah, blah. They covered for each other. You know, my dad always made my mom look good and my dad would always like, that counterbalance has to happen. We're not saying that we have to go spank our employees, but
1: yeah I, don't fright in front of the kids. I, I that is we'll lead with that in the uh, in in the snippet. Sure. <laughs> you know, it's also interesting
0: that the CEO and the COO need to have time to stay connected. The COO needs to understand and stay clear with the CEO's vision. And the CEO needs to stay clear and understand the plans and the operational execution that's happening so that they can stay out of each other's way. What tends to happen when the CEO tends to meddle, I was coaching a CEO recently, 140 employees, and he's like, Cameron, everything's running so well, I feel like I need to break some shit so I can get back involved. I'm like, no, (laughs) stop, just let it run, cruise, Like, think strategically.
1: I I think what what is actually good in that role from my, my experience is giving them a few seagull dives right so when chat gpt comes up or web3 like they'll convene a task force and to people who want to look at how it's going to be like you need to give them a couple deep dive things usually it's something new or experimental where they're really good at jumping in pulling it together thinking about it but it doesn't like the way i described matt and i's relationship for years was like i'm focused on on next year's business he's focused on the current year business right so i I got to stay away from the stuff that's about the train on the tracks now, like that's his job. And I'm, I'm looking at like, where do we lay track you know, right. down in the future? You don't want anything that can knock the train off the tracks, but I do think that, yeah, you need those projects to feel needed or wanted sometimes.
0: For sure. That's often something that happens. And I feel for the CEO, especially the founding CEO, when they hire all of these people. And again, it's very similar to parents. When the kids leave the home, when you have this empty nest, like, what do I do now? If the CEO is now delegated or abdicate all of that responsibility to somebody else, what do you do now? It's a really good discussion for the CEO and COO to have to help figure out the roles and responsibilities and the core areas of focus for the CEO. It's also important for the CEO to reconnect with who they are as a human, because at the end of the day, none of this shit matters. This is yeah. just what we do to make money, right? So
1: that's an important part of the call cadence, and that's that's actually... Some feedback I've had to give into people who are operationally minded over the years, which is like, look, you're doing these check ins and stuff with your team, but you're going right into the transaction list and the to do list. Like, you need the first ten minutes of like, hey Cam, what's going on? Like, how's how's your mom? That is feedback that has boiled up to me as I've done three sixty feedback for other people who are starting to lead and who are very operationally minded. I was like, look, they want to talk to you a little bit. Like, I mean, I I've always because again, it's just more my nature, but I. My I start every call with like, what's going on? Like, how's it fit? like, you know, not 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 diving in the transactional stuff just because I also just want to see where they are, where their' heads at. I, I think I think this these sort of check-in calls need that, as you said, relationship emotional piece as much as the transactional piece. It, it's a, no different than a marriage. Like my, yeah. my wife sometimes is like comes to me at dinner. She's like, all right, here, I got the forty two list of things that we' got into, and I'm like, oh wait. wait let's take let's take 5 minutes before we dive into task you know task management like talk about what's going on
0: yeah when you go how are you and you go fuck yeah. i'm overwhelmed and i'm stressed you can connect with them and then all of a Correct. sudden that trust yeah. gets reestablished and you realize you're on that same page it's same so thing.
1: i've always said the same thing for clients because like hey cam how are you how's it going and you're like you know what like not good my my mom and my sister both have COVID. I'm really aware. Like now I understand the headspace that you're in and why you're not frustrated with me today. You're just like nervous, right? I I think this is a number one tip and a lot during COVID and and from a client service organization, I would say is like, ask people how they are, what's going on, whatever. You will find, again, their cat's missing, like something where you thought they're frustrated at you and there's a problem and you just, it's like get their temperature overall.
0: Well, and every, every single one of us is struggling with the human condition, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, every employee has something happening that they're struggling with today, whether it's something with their spouse, one of their kids, financial, a health issue. I just found out my sister's husband's in hospital in Costa Rica. I went into hospital last night. Like at the end of the day, every single person is struggling with something. And if we don't connect with that, we miss, first we miss the fucking point. Like we're all just walking each other home. We're all going to die. But the other part is that if we do connect with people and they feel heard, they feel seen, they're going to go through brick walls for you to build your company because they feel they finally feel a connection with some other human. And that's what we're all yeah. starving for.
1: So in terms of, again, let's go back. I don't know. We delve much into finding this person. Where where are people likely to find them and what what are the qualities that they should be looking for?
0: Yeah, I'll tell you, I just found an incredible network um, yesterday. I'll I'll have to get you the exact name, but it's something like the Special Operations Tactical Force. And it's (laughs) it's all these ex-military operations people. And they're not super highly paid because they already have government pensions and they get like a fair amount of money. So you can get them for like 120, 150 grand a month. But they're like top level, solid COOs. Core values to the heart, like they'll go through brick walls, and they've they've run teams and run businesses, and it was like, wow, that's a goldmine. And um, but where, where do you find them? <sighs> I think the best A players are never out looking for jobs. Right, yeah. they already have jobs. They're in good companies. So it starts with really understanding the scorecard for the role, and then getting a really good job description written, and then getting the job description polished by a copywriter or run the run it through gpt and get it to add the nlp components and polish it and make it sound friendly it's incredible what what chat gpt can do with a job posting now it's blows my mind yeah chat gpt is a great editor like oh, yeah unbelievable dude you can take an eight-page legal agreement and ask it to rewrite the legal agreement in eight-year-old writing and it'll yeah. do that for you it's like it's pretty funny
1: i i yeah people you know in terms of They're worried about plagiarism writing stuff. I've actually found it's a phenomenal editor, you know, and and edit this to be more sophisticated, edit it to be more empathetic. Like there's all sorts of pieces on that.
0: Well, you can watch, there's a post that I'm going to do later today. I'll share it with you later, but I'm going to get chat GPT to write a, a Facebook post about why AI is going to be such a powerful tool and everybody's going to be using it. And I'm going to have it written like using NLP and using like get people to discuss I'm going to post that on Facebook without telling him it was written by it and have everybody argue with it. I'm like, hey, you're arguing in the post that chat wrote. So just proof. It's kind of like, you know, this billboard works. You're seeing it
1: advertised here. Yeah, Yeah. right. I've always thought that's a great. Yes, very powerful.
0: So, so where do you find them? It's it again, it starts with what are you looking for, then it moves to getting a job posting written that's like a sales letter, that's a, like a marketing piece, like really have it marketing well and really polarize in that marketing piece. Really push away 50% of the people that read it. So they have no desire to ever work with you. I had a, a company that I was working with years ago. They were a medical device company and they were looking for a VP of engineering, so a very senior. Um, you know, 300 person company, VP of engineering, you know, running a very kind of left brain side of the business. Yeah. And they put in the job posting, if you ever wear a pocket protector or dress pants to the office, we'll fire you. You must come to work wearing board shorts and flip flops. And, and then it, they kind of talked about the role and the fun. And people were like, I can't believe you describe the role that way. It's so unprofessional. And they're like, see ya. Yeah, and you're, not, you're not the like, right like, person. Oh my God, sure. this sounds like me. I was just surfing this morning, but I've been a VP of these 12 other companies. They hired this guy. He literally comes into the interview. He's got like long hair. He's wearing board shorts, but technically very, very sound. Yeah. They nailed it, right? So you have to start with that. The next part is I would use an executive recruiter, right? I've got a recruiter here in Arizona that's recruited probably 30 different COOs for different companies for me over the last 10 years. They crush it. He's on the board of Conscious Capitalism with John Mackey. He's done big searches for big companies. They only do culture-based recruiting for senior roles, so they only work on roles for $200,000 plus comp, but they absolutely crush it. And and if you get a good recruiter going out and trying to poach those people and bring them in, you'll have a better chance. And then lastly, sharing it with your entire social media list, sharing it with your entire client list. Um, And then I like even putting in place a very, very strong recruiting bonus. Let's say it's a $300,000 role, I'll give a $150,000 recruiting bonus to any of my employees who send me the name of a person that we hire, but they'll get that $150,000, 30000 a year for five years, provided they and the other person are still working in the company. Mm, yeah, dual-sided, yeah. you get month 12, month 24, month 36, 48, and 60. And I'll tell you, any of my clients that put in those bonuses for half the comp spread over five years, they have no problem recruiting great talent. They're right there. <laughs> and they're going to stay.
1: Hey, Elevate listeners, whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. Shopify. all lowercase go to shopify.com/elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com/elevate So yeah. obviously, you're not going to have a hidden COO on the team, but I think for smaller businesses, a lot of people have groomed that person by finding the integrator internally. Internally,
0: right? yeah, great point. So that's really, and that's especially important if you have deep domain expertise as well. If you're a company that has, you know, like you guys in running these partnership programs, affiliate programs for big brands, when you have domain expertise. You kind of want somebody who's come from the digital marketing arena. You don't want somebody who's managed restaurants to come in to your business. So that's important. You can find somebody from within. You're looking for the MVP, right? That most valuable player that you want to handcuff to the company. Or you're looking for somebody who's almost a change agent from internal. They understand the business, but now you need them to kind of pivot the business in a way or, or change the trajectory in a way. And because everybody already knows them and likes them and respects them, they'll follow them. That can be pretty sound as well. It's tough to bring in an external second-in-command over top of your current team.
1: There's a whole – I talk a lot about that as well. Do you talk about whether you get their approval or buy? Or like, Do you yeah. include them in the process? Because a lot Absolutely. of them might not life, like okay. – Let's say that
0: I've got six VPs that are going to be reporting to this new COO. Well, those yeah. VPs are going to be interviewing their potential new COO as got well. I yeah. want them to know everything about them and to help in the hiring process for sure. And But there's a science there because you've got – you got some people that are pissed off because they wanted that role. You got some people that are worried because the, uh, is this person coming in going to like me or am I going to connect with them? Then you got some people that are sad that they don't get to report to Bob anymore. And Now I got to report to Matt. I liked reporting to Bob. You know, I want
1: that. probably not, but because Bob never you know did the performance review or any other things that founders don't like to do. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's a good guy, luckily. You nailed <laughs> there. Where did you find him, by the way? He was an intern during the 2008 recession when there was like no jobs to be had. And I got like three interns to work at my like not real business at the time at a, at a business school.
0: Wow. So an internal hire, deep trust, early stage.
1: Yeah. So he interned for me. And then like three years later, as the business was growing, seven or eight people, I realized like we needed some help. And and I just really liked him and thought he was really good. Although we pay like we tennis half the summer, you know, during the internship and I basically reached out to him as he was having an existential crisis in his current business, and he came in as the head of client services. Uh, then he was, then he was something maybe before president and then CEO. I feel like he had four, four yeah. t- titles, but it was he, always running the business of the day to day of the business.
0: Yeah, I remember when you guys were kind of starting to, when you were really starting to splinter off to really focus, like you wanted to write your first book and you were starting the Friday yeah. forward. It was like, wow, this has nothing to do with your core business. What's Bob doing? But he understood it. Like he actually really saw either the value in letting you go off and do those things. Yeah,
1: more, more like let's keep him distracted and get, keep him out of, keep him out of my way. So you find this person. Yeah, How do you onboard them? I mean, I think what's was interesting. First, they're going to meet their team. But what do you have to do successfully to integrate them so there's not organ rejection?
0: Great. Yeah, huge question. So the first thing to remember is that when you're bringing on a second command, it's almost like bringing a big boulder and wanting the boulder to drop to the bottom of the pond. It will. The boulder will get to the pond just fine. You've hired the right person. It'll do its job. You have to, as the leader, watch for the ripples that happen, the good ripple effects and the bad ripple effects. You know, right. the and new... people
1: are going to react poorly to change. They always and, do, right? And they'll react well. All
0: of a sudden you'll see, wow, these two new people have they've changed. They're getting better because they're attracting this person. Oh, I,
1: I don't think any so I agree with you, but but would you I haven't really seen anyone react initially positively to change. Correct. Like yeah, but then, then maybe a month later when they see the outcome. But the it's you move my cheese, like always yeah. sort of, yeah. <laughs> totally. So you gotta
0: watch for those ripples. And then you've got to also make sure that in the first 30 days, the new COO walks around with a notebook, writing down all their ideas. You know, I think we should fire Bob. Cool. Don't fight. Not you, Bob. The other Bob. Don't, Don't do it. Yeah. Right. So they write down their 85 ideas that they've had or the observations they've had in the first month. In the second month, the COO goes and tests each of their hypotheses. Let me learn more about that Bob guy. Oh, I didn't realize that. No, we should keep him. Oh, no, I was right on that. Oh, maybe we do need that integration. So they kind of stress test all their own ideas in month two. They go back and test all their own hypotheses. In month three, they stack up the projects of what they want to do in the order of impact and the order of ease. And the early stage wins that they can do is by doing a couple of small, easy things that the people can go, oh, new idea. It went well. It was easy to put in place. Don't start by saying we need a new ERP and put in place some massive nine month project that's going to drive the company crazy because you'll kill yourself right away.
1: Yeah, I, I've I've been privy to some leaders from the client side, you know, who just come in like a bulldozer. And I've always thought there's, there's a couple of real negative things to that one with the first thing they do is fire all the agencies before, you know, they came in and fired us. And I'm like, you don't even know the history of this program or how we turned it around or any, like, and this person thought they were in Mensa and just, they thought they were smarter. So, you know, the walk light, carry a big stick has a couple of advantages. I think one, you don't put all the risk on yourself. Like, cause when you come in and bulldoze and bring in your contract, your team, like now there's no one else to blame. Right. But yeah. yourself. And two, when you come in guns a blazing. No one's going to talk to you. No one's going to trust you. No one's going to tell you, like, let you form. Like, if if they believe you formed your opinions, like, you are going to have that organ rejection. Like, I've never understood why everyone would want to create animosity from day one versus, again, just being like, oh, Cam, oh, man, this is great discussion, you know, leave lunch. Cam's got to go like, you know, and I did
0: that wrong in my, my last marriage. I, I had been married before I had two kids. I got remarried and I was so excited about my new wife and I just introduced her to the kids and we went on vacations and she wanted to start parenting. The whole thing went sideways. Yeah. She didn't have the trust yet with my kids to start parenting them. And I, I threw her in so quickly that I didn't watch for the reactions of my two boys that were still not recovered from the fact that I'd left their mom. Yeah, And it was too fast, right? It's just the same stuff as people.
1: Yeah, I I think that 90 days uh, for anyone, for any leader should be, there's a book on this, the first 90 days that I think is because it's basically listening and writing and coming back. But again, if you come in in the first seven days and with a bulldozer, no one's going to talk to you. No one's going to tell you the truth,
0: right? You don't have the relationship basis to do that yet. Or nor do you really have enough understanding yet. Like you just don't understand the business that well
1: yet. So give it some time. All right. So interestingly, we mentioned this. So so you've got you've got Jesse and Matt who were part of your core founding group at uh, not Jesse, sorry, Zach, <laughs> Zach yeah. and Matt who were part of your core founding group of. Uh, you talked to, like kind of about the evolution of of size of the second in command. They're both now CEOs. of mid-sized companies like when when does the number two really the job they're doing becomes number one and and what is the right reason to make that flip and what's the wrong reason to make that flip and then i'll make the question even more complicated what does the number two have to change from what they've been doing to become a number one
0: so first off it tends to be rare that a coo moves into the ceo role First off, they have very different personality profiles and very different kind of sets of skill sets. So like Sheryl Sandberg will likely never be a CEO of a company, even though she's one of the strongest leaders on the planet, right? She was the CEO of Mark Zuckerberg for 15 years. It's very rare to see that transition happen. Secondly, when it does tend to happen, they tend to move into the CEO role of corporations, of bigger companies that don't need as much in terms of the entrepreneurial you know Vision culture startup that that stuff is already established and now they get to operate and scale the company yeah. so they're more of a CEO operating a business and that tends to be like the the typical hired gun MBA style CEO so that tends to be when you see it happening and when you see it happening successfully in the two examples you've given Matt wool and Zach Morrison they both have deep domain expertise in the companies they've both scaled these companies and what are you guys now like 200 employees roughly
1: 350.
0: Three for shit. Wow. And
1: and the exec teams were reporting to them anyway, pretty much. Yeah, exactly.
0: And then Zach, I think they've got like 1,700 or something at Tenuity now. So they're running big businesses. 350 people is a big business. So that tends to be when it works well. But most don't make that transition, nor want to.
1: Right. You got to have dual willingness, right? I think it's the founder realizing what they want to do, and then that person realizing what they want to do one of my analogies, I had a lot and I, you know, my book, I talk about sort of the transition story as that, look, if you're going to build great team members, then you should want them to take your job one day, right? That should be, that's truly what a leader would want in the perfect sense. And if they're ready and you don't give them the job, someone else is going to give them the job. But like the founder to me, and particularly if you bring on investors, the founder kind of runs the R and D department. And when you're 20 30 people r&d is like 50 60 it's less about what you're doing and more about telling other people what you're doing and what you're doing yeah. tomorrow and at some point i was like look i i like the r&d the leadership but this is the five or ten percent of the business now it's like the keeping the trains on the track is the 90 percent of the business all that complexity i i don't want to do that stuff that's not what i like
0: let me even qualify what i said because what i said was that most coos don't want to become ceos Let me change that slightly. Most COOs don't ever want to be an entrepreneur. Correct. Right. They definitely could aspire to run a company, but they don't want to start a company, nor do they have the skill set and DNA to start one. And I don't think that Zach necessarily has the DNA to go out and start a company, nor does Matt. But I think they definitely have the right DNA to to build one from where it is and continue to scale it quite effectively.
1: So, I mean, there are obviously two examples, but what... If you're coaching a number two who's stepping into this, like who's been that role, what is it that they're going to have to learn? I mean, I have some stuff on my list that I've thought about. What is it that they're going to have to do differently with that stepping into those shoes?
0: I'm going to take a pass on the question because it's not my domain expertise to even know. I don't. I've never known
1: you not to answer a question, irrespective of knowledge of the question. (laughs) No, I've
0: started. I've started even telling people that that if I don't know, I'm not going to give you an opinion because like opinions are like assholes. What would
1: you hypothesize?
0: Um they have to get better at the praise and the bringing the chief energy in yeah. the, the the spark they have to bring that spark and energy and and fun in the that in the entrepreneurial size company we follow this energy blindly and yeah. we don't even know why we're following the piper they need yeah. to bring that in a little bit they need to also remember that it isn't as much about the day to day anymore it's more about growing the people and and really growing the vision and staying connected with the culture
1: yeah, I, th- I think that last part I think is what I what I agree. The transition to some of the vision stuff and saying the vision is that the operator usually takes the vision and makes it happen. They they you know they're not the ones to to list out the crazy crap that's going to be done. They figure out how to make the crazy crap happen. But now that's their job to put a new plant a flag you know right. out there for the team about where the business is going, and that's a little bit of a different shift.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally different. We have noticed we did a personality profile of all of our COO Alliance members, and we also did a personality profile of all their CEO founders. And we used the Colby profile. And it's incredible to look that 95% of the COOs all have the same personality profile in Colby. Which is what? Very high first two numbers, very high fact finder, meaning they ask a <laughs> lot of questions before yeah. they start projects. Uh,
1: and the other, I, they are the sound founders are zero fact finder, right?
0: Right. And, and yeah. on, they're all high quicks. <laughs> they're a high third number, like a nine or an eight third number. Yeah. So, just very, very interesting to see that to just know the DNA is different. The skill sets can be learned, but the DNA is different.
1: So, what, what other nuggets uh, from Second Command will people be able to learn about who read the book? What didn't we talk about?
0: It's very hard to just say, oh, you were a COO, come and be my COO, because you're really matching the DNA of the founder, CEO. So I have had so many people over the years come to me and say, can you be my COO? I mean, I would be horrible in your company. I would say that of of our hundreds of members of the COO alliance, most of them could only run 10 or 15% of the other member companies. They would be horrible as COOs for the other 85% of the companies because they don't match the founder. They don't have the skill set. The company is the wrong size for where they are in their skills. So it's about recognizing that it, you're really trying to find that, not a needle in the haystack, but you're definitely trying to find that yin and yang you know, mix for sure.
1: All right, Cam, I'll tweak the typical last question since you probably answered it last time, but what do you think, um, it's usually kind of about the mistake you learn from, what, what's the biggest mistake that the second in command typically makes that that gets them in trouble?
0: I'll I'll say what mine was, it was not listening to another member of the leadership team. And we had a, a very senior member of our leadership team who was the head of finance who kept saying to Brian and I, do you think we're going too quickly? I'm worried we're growing too fast. Do we, should we be opening the UK yet? I'm worried that we're doing, and I was such a high driver, high go. And we were, you know, six consecutive years of doubling our size of our company. I just steamrolled over top of him all the time. No, no, we got this. Yeah, yeah, we're good. I didn't understand the domain of finance well enough to base it. And we were wrong. We grew too quickly at one point. We used up all of our cash. We went to the bank to get a loan. And they said, well, you don't have any money. And we're like, I know. We just spent all of our money on that That's
1: why we need your money.
0: On bonuses, yeah. And they're like, well, <laughs> it doesn't work. that." We're like, what do you mean it doesn't work? That we profitable for six years? and are like, you guys have no idea how to leverage your financials. And we're like, we don't even know what that means. Yeah.
1: So therefore, they're like, yes, exactly.
0: Yeah. So Brian had to go out and ask for $420,000 from his mom just to meet payroll. We had to lay off a whole group of people. And I realized that if you're going to have people on your team, listen to them. And if you're not willing to listen to them, hire people you're willing to listen to. My job isn't to be the one with all the ideas. It's to align all the people with ideas and collaborate and listen and work with them. And that's where I broke down at that size company was I couldn't slow it down enough, but I had to, I learned it hardcore. All
1: right, Cameron, where can, where can people uh, learn more about the book or find it? Yeah, all, well, all of my books, the second
0: command, and then my other books are all available on Amazon, audible and iTunes. Um, they can check out the COO Alliance and then definitely check out the invest in your leaders course as well.
1: All right, Cameron, thanks for joining us. Uh, I know this is a topic that <laughs> I've heard so many leaders struggle with, ask questions about. So I, I hope a lot of them are, uh, all right, learn some things here about how they can get some support do what they do well and let other people do what they do well well appreciate it
0: thanks so much for having me and tell matt that his name's in the book a few times too and say hi for me
1: all right to our listeners thanks for tuning in to the elevate podcast today we'll include links to cameron and the second in command book on the detailed episode page at Robertglazer.com. thanks again for your support until next time keep elevating